So um, let me tell you a little bit about our podcast. So we believe a podcast can facilitate helpful and holy conversation concerning justice, freedom, and peace. These are real concerns for the Fayetteville community and the community at large. So not just here in Fayetteville, but also, you know, regionally, um, statewide, uh, in our community, especially as our city continues to navigate our history, our present realities, and our future possibilities. Participants will reflect on what justice means, the connection freedom has within our community as we are uniquely positioned with our neighbors at Fort Bragg and our desire to live together in peace. Through seeking these stories of our people, we will find and celebrate the places where justice, freedom, and peace intersect. And we hope to inspire listeners to practice the same. So the key questions we're seeking to explore is when telling your story, how have justice, freedom, and peace impacted your life? And before we get started, I, I want to read your bio so that you know any of our listeners know who you are. So today we have Andrew Herrera, and before joining Cure America's Global in 2009, Andrew worked in the city of Raleigh Parks and Recreation and spent a year studying in Ecuador. In 2004, Andrew was a State Department ambassador to Jiaonan. Am I saying that right? Nailed it. Perfect. China. Andrew graduated from the University of North Carolina with a master's in public health. Andrew also has his MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, which he completed all while serving as the full-time executive director of Cure America's Global. Recently, Andrew was selected as the Triangle Business Journal 40 Under 40 Award winner. As the leader of Cure America's Global since 2013, Andrew has been responsible for leading strategic initiatives, development on the board of directors, and the day-to-day operations of an international non-governmental organization based right here in Raleigh. So just, you know, 30 minutes up the road. Uh, So, Andrew, it's great to have you here on the podcast. So I want to start out by just tell me a little bit about what you do with Cure America's Global. Tell me a little bit about your history and yeah, just let our listeners know who you are. Thank you. Thank you. It's really good to be here. And I love Fayetteville. Uh, I love Hay Street and the United Methodist Church is close to my heart for many reasons. The uh, my background is in public health, like we talked about, and my whole career has been at Cure America's Global. Um, But the reason that I got into all of this uh, starts with my own personal um, mission trip that I went on in high school. And when I was going to uh, serve alongside some of my fellow church members, we were in Honduras, and I made some really close connections, some close friends. I was exposed to people who were so different than me, um, so radically far away in experiences, yet so similar to me in terms of being a human, Mm -hmm. a person on the earth. Um, And so I remember very distinctly coming back from that experience in high school. I was driving to to school for, you know, junior year or senior year for um, class. And on my way to class, I wanted to stop and get a coffee. And I bought this like, you know, Starbucks caramel frappuccino. Love it. Delicious. I think it was like five bucks. And I'll never forget coming back from this experience, meeting new friends, new brothers and sisters from a different part of the world who did not have what I had. And I, I just have this distinct memory of like, wow, I, how lucky am I? Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. driving a car to school and I'm stopping on the way to get a coffee. I have the money. I have the time. I have the resources. I have the safety. I have so much. How lucky am I? And that 
was a very key moment in my journey to realize that the world is bigger than just right here, but not just right here. Right here, there are people right next to me who are in a different world, who are to have different experiences. Yeah. And so it's really important to me to, to give back. I think another part of this is my father is from South America. Um, I have witnessed him experience some pretty extreme racism. Um, I don't often experience it because of the way I look. I'm, you know, I, I come across as a white man, and I'm lucky in a lot of ways to have certain experiences that I don't have to struggle through. But I have seen my father experience some crazy, crazy things that are so unnecessary. Mm-hmm. All of that has led to um, me wanting to work, to fight, to to live a life of tr- at least trying, <laughs> at least trying to make the world better. Um, I think that personally, I think that everybody in our world wants to be healthy and happy yeah. and just, you know, live. But there's so many barriers to that. And they're not necessary. They're, they're preventable. They're unnecessary. So that's kind of what motivates me. I, I Cure America is global. It's a nonprofit. We've been around for about 40 years. And Cure Americas was founded in the Methodist Church at Duke University mm-hmm. by Methodist missionaries. Um, we have a strong connection to Fayetteville, Hay Street, for many years. We've gone on mission trips together. We have worked with Hay Mount United Methodist Church and Fayetteville Academy for many years. Um, our board members, many come from Fayetteville, and we're working internationally, historically but most recently in COVID. So let me just pause there. I could talk for days. <laughs> I, I love Cure Americas. And when anybody asks, you know, hey, tell me about your history. It's like, woof, here you go. No, and that's great. So one of the questions that I had for you, you said when you went on a missions trip uh, to Honduras, that that's kind of when your eyes were open to it. And that's when you, you started to recognize that, that people were like you, but also not at the same time. So how old were you when you went on that, that trip? You know, 15, 16. 16 years old, probably. I think before that, though, I did have a chance. My father, like I mentioned, is from South America. I had a chance to travel to his home um, town and country. So I think that I was very, I was younger than I was eight or nine. So I didn't have the same, <clears throat> I think, epiphanies or revelations mm-hmm. personally. Um, but I had the exposure. You know, I was comfortable with difference. And I think sometimes without that exposure, it, we, come, we, we can create some fear. Right. Rather than like, you're just another person, you're just another road, you're just another, whatever the experience is, it's just another one rather than it's, this is scary. And so I think I, I was very lucky to have some early experiences, but certainly the high school experience was you know, a game changer for me. Yeah. So it got me to thinking the first time I ever did an international missions trip, I think I was in, I'd already graduated college. And I went to Nicaragua. I went to, um, you know, we flew into uh, Managua, and then we went to Lyon. Mm-hmm. And it was during the dry season, so I got to see, like, the dry riverbeds. And um, I had a very similar experience and recognized that, you know, even though we have people that are without means here, it's not the same. It's uh, there are organizations in place to make sure that people have food, people have um have clothing, those sorts of things that are at least trying. But in when I was in Nicaragua, we were it. And it was just, you know, our little small, like 30 people team. Um, 
in that one particular area. Now, I'm sure that there are pocket cells and churches that, that go out and do those sorts of things, but I had never actually seen what real poverty looked like. And then when I got back to the States, I opened my eyes and I went, there's real poverty here. That's right. This is something that is not just a, I need to go to another country that's right. to help out, but this is something that's happening outside my door. Yeah. And, you know, and I lived in, at the time I lived in very rural North Carolina and I'd never even considered that people a few houses down from me were experiencing poverty. They were experiencing um, sometimes not knowing where their next meal is coming from. And it just never dawned on me until then. So I, I, I understand exactly what you're talking about. And I think that speaks to the value of missions trips, the value of getting connected with like Cure America, um, getting connected with some of these, uh, the group I went with was called Missionary Friends, um, getting connected with these organizations that do real work, even if you can't go overseas, there are ways that you can be connected here. So speaking of, if somebody wanted to be connected, um, that's something that I would love for at the end of the podcast for you to talk about mm-hmm. um, so that we can plug it so that we can make sure people have links and resources mm-hmm. and are able to get to that. Um, but yeah, so tell me a little bit about, uh, you, you're talking about Cure America and what you're doing now. Um, so what do you do stateside that helps internationally? Sure. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you know, originally we were founded to, uh, it's, so it's public health. That's our goal. Our goal is prevention and systems. So it's one person at a time. You know, you know the story of the starfish? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So one person at a time, that starfish matters. It does matter. And systematically, what can we do to change the system so that future people don't have the same, the mm. same issue? And what can we do uh, that is sustainable? That is, you mentioned before we started this, you know, stretching every dollar, mm-hmm. using resources wisely. What can we do systematically to make some changes, some real changes? And how do we prove that we're making changes? Like, how do we... So how do you measure it? How do you measure it? How do you demonstrate change or impact? That's really important to us. And so our founders um, were these, you know, intellectual, but super driven and um, led by the spirit type of change makers who wanted to do good the right way, or mm. at least a better right way. There may, you know, it's, it's like a spectrum. We're always hopefully getting better. Right. And so we've been doing this public health work, which is to um, go and we call it community-based instead of facility-based. So at a facility, you wait for people to come to you at a health facility. You are a doctor or a nurse or a PA, and people make an appointment, and they show up, and you treat them. Mm-hmm. Typically nine to five, Typically, you know, in a more urban setting on the, on the side of the road, but we're focused on community-based, which is going, bringing health to people. Yeah. We've been doing that for years, uh, for generations, really, 40 years, you know. And um, when COVID hit specifically, but before that too, we began to bring that mission home, to think about what can we do, that what can we apply here that we've learned in mm-hmm. other places. And so one of the, the tools that we think about is, instead, you know, going into p- communities, but instead of me doing it or an outsider, any outsider doing it, how do we build up the local capacity? Teach the fish rather than give to fish. Right, right. So the key to me is, you know, a mom teaching another mom instead of me teaching a mom. 
I don't have any experience or qualifications <laughs> to teach a mom anything. Right, right. But another mom in the community can say, hey, you know, Jane, um, you know, I want to teach you a little bit more about um, hand washing. Okay, let's talk about hand washing. Why is hand washing important? Well, in some countries, hand washing is really important because it helps prevent diarrhea. Diarrhea for kids kills. Right. Diarrhea for babies literally kill babies. So if we can prevent that systematically, you can save lives. So a mom's teaching another mom about hand washing. She doesn't just like do a PowerPoint presentation. She goes into her mom's or into her neighbor's house and she says, show me your water. Mm -hmm. All right. Where's your soap at? Let's practice. It's hands on, hands washing. Yeah. And I've seen moms say, don't do it like that. You know, get in there, get underneath your nails, like really wash your hands. But only a, a neighbor, a trusted source can have that type of conversation. Yeah, it's the messenger and the message. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's our, our kind of our toolkit, our methodology around the world. There's a lot more to it, but um, we're, we've been doing that here now. So we were originally working with um, the Guatemalan consulate across North Carolina to provide basic health access and information. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, saying you don't have to be sick. You can be healthy. How do you be healthy? Let's see. Where do you live? Where, who is the person in your neighborhood who can help you? Where, where's the community center that wants you to come to them? A lot mm -hmm. of people are scared. A lot of people are unsure. It's intimidating. I don't know if you go to a doctor or a hospital, it's like formal and intimidating and costs a lot of money. And there's so many barriers. And so we were working with the Guatemalan consulate. We were doing programs and then COVID hits. And you talked about pivoting here, having <laughs> to do virtual or live streaming for church services. And, you know, a lot of businesses had to pivot and Cure Americas too. And so we did hard left turn to health access for Spanish speaking people across North Carolina. We um, had 500 volunteers who were calling people in Spanish. So the key is like bringing health to people, not waiting for them to come, right. actively picking up the phone and saying, hey, do you need any help? Do you have any questions? Let me talk to you about some, some COVID stuff. Did you know COVID? And it feels like such a long time ago, but in March and April and May, there was not a lot of good information in Spanish for people. And right. so we know that the Spanish-speaking population has been systematically um, receiving less services and systematically left out. And so by calling people with this volunteer army that we built, we were able to reach 10,000 families wow. and to teach them, uh, to give them information about COVID. Where do you go to get tested? How do you stay safe? Dispelling myths. You know, there's been all kinds of myths out there, encouraging mask wearing. That was early on. Mm -hmm. We've pivoted again to now we're focused on vaccines, vaccine equity, um, we're working across 26 counties of North Carolina. We've reached over 150,000 people. And uh, we've been working now, it feels like five years, but it's been about 11 months on COVID with the state of North Carolina. <laughs> I'm laughing because it does. It feels like COVID has been rough. Um, yeah. It, um, there's been a lot of isolation, I think, that's gone along with that. That's just caused people to, to have this feeling of nobody really understands what I'm going through. And I wonder how much of that, um, you know, and I'm saying that as a white man that speaks English. So I can't even imagine for somebody that doesn't speak English and that, you know, isn't a white man, um, what that's got to feel like. Yeah. It's got to be even more isolating. I think people have been terrified. People yeah. have been and still continue. So 
trying to survive. Where am I going to eat my next meal? Where am I going to, I got to go to work. I have got to go to work. If I don't go to work, I don't eat. My kids don't eat. Masks, no masks, doesn't matter. I got to go to work. Yeah. And so being able to be a little bit of support, to take a little bit of that burden, to give some information, to put those people first, to put our community first and say, you are deserve this, have the right to this, or you should be in the front of the line, mm-hmm. not an afterthought. That's been our priority because we want for me to be healthy. All of us have to be healthy. You know, we're, we're in this together in this yeah. world, you know, and it's true globally, but it's certainly true when you're in the grocery store. You know, and somebody's coughing next to you. Like, what do you think about that, <laughs> right? You know, we're all in this together. If you have kids, you think about your kids bringing home a cold and then the parents get the cold and then everybody's got the cold, right? So we want everybody <laughs> to be healthy because we're in this together. And so many times it's been an afterthought for our society, and that's not the right way. You know, and I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking, this is like my my youth minister hat on for a moment. One of the things that we really instill in our youth group are, are two things really matter in the Christian faith. Love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And really the, the loving your neighbor as yourself comes into making sure that they're first before you, making sure that they are taken care of before you. The blessings that you receive, you are supposed to spread those. You are supposed to give those out. And as you give those out, you get more so that you can give even more. It's not, a, it's not something that we are meant to hoard or hold on to or we're supposed to give as much as we can. So with that in mind, Um, say I, let's pretend for a moment that I know absolutely nothing about how to get plugged in, how to get involved, um, something I could do from right here, you know, in, in Fayetteville, me as an individual, what is something that I could do to support, um, the global health initiative to help make sure that those systems get in place to make sure, you know, because I don't speak fluent Spanish. Um, so that's something that is intimidating for me is if I wanted to get connected, if I wanted to be that kind of resource and to help um, just people in general understand the different things that are available to them, what could I do? Yeah, that's a great question. And Cure Americas, we have four full-time staff and we reach literally hundreds of thousands of people. It's through our partners. Our local partners do so much of the heavy lifting. They're on the front lines. So if I can put a pin in that, who are your local partners? Yeah, so we work with churches. Uh, for example, the St. Julia AME Zion Church is one of our local partners. She's That church, excuse me, is in um, Onslow County. Mm-hmm. We work with, I mentioned Fayetteville Academy and um, Haymount United Methodist Church. We also work with El Centro Hispano. We work with different organizations across the state who are on the ground, who were serving their community before COVID. They'll be serving their community afterwards. Right. Cure Americas is behind the scenes trying to lift it up and get some money for those people and some training and some evidence-based uh, interventions for those people. So we have all these partners, and we have another big piece of how we operate is through volunteers. So we, we literally had, you know, 600 volunteers last year, 600 people who were part of Cure Americas, making it work. You can volunteer in lots of ways. You can volunteer on our board of directors. All of our board members are volunteers who serve – um, let's see, I think we have three or four from Fayetteville um, who are active and like hands-on. We have a young professionals board for people who recently graduated or in graduate school. They're doing storytelling and fundraising. We've never been really good at 
getting out there and marketing. We're not too flashy. We're really good at public health. Mm-hmm. We're nerds. We're good at <laughs> math, you know, doing the epidemiology. That's our strength. But the, um, the slick storytelling, we're still getting, we're, our, you know, website development, we're still get working on that. So what I'm know? hearing you say is you need a young person to, to make a TikTok for you. Is like Tick, I, I would love a TikTok. <laughs> I could, you know, whatever the dance, you know, I could try it. But uh, <laughs> definitely, yeah, social media for sure, blog posts, writing for us. Um, we have a volunteer who all she did this past year was call people and say, hey, can we come and talk to your group about Cure Americas and how you can get involved? And so she reached out to over 150 high schools across the state presentations um, we have uh, volunteers who are doing data analysis for us they just in their spare time look at spreadsheets and double check some numbers and do some data analysis so my point being is that anybody can contribute mm-hmm. um, we have a volunteer who his main job is he's a handy guy and he helps around the office instead of me paying for somebody to do it he's like I can replace that toilet <laughs> I can nice. help you with those that fire extinguisher um, and I'm like, oh, please do, because I have no idea how a toilet operates. I really think I should know that. Um, so there's it's, l- it's nice that you've got somebody that can go in and help with that kind of stuff, though. All people are needed. It's, it's like it's a, like just like a household, just like a community. A, you know, business is a little family, a little community where we need all types to support that. You never know when the need will be there. But the same volunteer who helped hands-on, um, him and his friend delivered uh, PPE masks and hand sanitizer across the state he was going on trips and delivering these massive orders to people saving Mm -hmm. time saving money and helping contribute volunteers from churches actually um packed ppe bags you know they packed bags to give away to community members at vaccine events i think we we did some of that here too if i'm not mistaken yeah lots of ways to do hands-on work very very cool so I'm, I'm thinking, uh, and once again, I'm being completely biased because I am a youth minister here. Um, I've got some kids that just recently graduated. I say kids. I have some students that just recently graduated uh, from high school. If they wanted to volunteer, are there ways that they could get plugged in? Maybe they're looking for something over the summer until they go away to college, that sort of thing. We have an internship program, very active. I think I have like six or seven interns right now. And we have graduate students, college students, and high school students. And they all work together on different projects. The students learn about Cure Americas. The first thing is learning. They build skills, and they do what they're good at and what they're interested in. A lot of it is related to social media, the website, and storytelling, getting confident in telling the story of your personal story, why do you care, as well as the Cure America story. This is all super fascinating. And I, I, I think I could probably sit here and listen to you just tell about um, Cure Americas, the story behind it, but I want—I really want to, to hone in on something else. So this podcast is about justice, freedom, and peace. So after hearing about Cure America, after hearing about the volunteerism, after hearing about some of the struggles that um, some of our Spanish-speaking population go through, um, I really want to know, where do you see justice happening with Cure Americas, with your background, with... Uh, COVID, toward the tail end of COVID, I hope, um, vaccine rollout. How do you see justice in all of that? Yeah, I think we, at Cure Americas, at least we think about justice every day. Um, we focus on the people who are forgotten first. So we go to the places that are hardest to reach, the community members that are hardest to get to, 
the populations who are the least trustful, you know, they have the, the most to lose. The groups of people who unfortunately or for yeah unfortunately really i mean tragically society has left behind so uh, let me ask you and I, I hate to interrupt but you said something that that piqued my my curiosity so if they're the least trustful how do you gain their trust i don't <laughs> i don't do that you know it's our partners it's fine so there's there's people in those communities who um are a little bit more outward facing and you find those people, those champions, those trusted individuals. Maybe it's their local pastor. Maybe it's a mom who um, is really outgoing or gregarious, who is willing to take a little bit of risk. And that person becomes the champion, the gateway, the trusted uh, confidant for their community, to work for their community. Mm. And then I, we're, really, we really, we're behind the scenes. It's that mom who's teaching her neighbor moms. It's the pastor who's bringing his church to get tested or to get services or health care because he he has maybe the commitment or the lack of fear you know he he's a, he or she is the one who is, is leading that so, so that how do you sense? how do you get that that mom and that pastor on board with you like how do you do you bring them in for trainings like how and I know you, you've hit on that a little bit but I'm I'm really interested in so when the mom sees the value of cure America Step two is she comes into your office for a training. You go out to them to do trainings so that they can facilitate. I know, and full disclosure, I used to work at Partnership for Children in Johnston County. And so one of the things that we would do is we would have these events where we would either go out in the community and we would um, teach these parents to do things, and then they would go out and teach. It was like Amway, but, you know, with, you know, a a different focus. Um, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But that's kind of... Our, what our model was, was so that we could help reduce uh, it SIDS was a big thing for us. Um, you know, knowing not to put loose clothing or loose blankets in a crib with an infant um, because there's a rebreathing issue, you know, those sorts of things. So what is Cure America's model for, for I guess, spreading the message so that that trusted mom then becomes the advocate for the community? Yeah, and it's, it's so it's very context-specific. So each context is different. Each community has a different... Um, structure or trusted people in their community. But one thing that we always work to do is to collect data, not Cure America's, but the the trusted folks to collect data and to say, here's our community. Here's what's going on. By starting to collect data, the community or the leaders of that community start to to understand a little bit better their community. Mm. So they people literally map their community. And then they identify, okay, so John lives here and Renee lives there and Louisa lives here. And they create this map, and then they start to say, here are our priorities for this community. And they define that. And the community is doing this. You know, the mom or the the pastor or the leaders are doing this with their community. So Mm -hmm. they collect data, and they start to understand their data. And they use that data to decide, here's our priority. We want to work on fill in the blank. So it's very much bottom up. They own the project. It's their project. So then they come to you and say, these are things that we need. This is, this is our, it, we create the structure, we create the system, we provide some of the training, you know, we're not a donor agency, we don't have a lot of money, it's more about like the, the public health interventions or the training. Mm-hmm. And because it's always like from the very beginning, belongs to the community, you can't take it away. 
Right. You know, you can't even if if whatever thing happens, like it's it, it's be, it, it's part of the community now. It's part of the ethos. And so by then, co- really cool. yeah, collecting that information, providing that training, that information, that information on what they want, and then always having this feedback cycle of information. So, okay, we last year we focused on X. What did we do? Did we change it? Did mm-hmm. we have more hand washing or more? Um, Fewer babies had diarrhea because more people are washing hands. Yeah, exactly. That sort of thing. All kinds of, there's like so many things that we measure. It's like mind boggling, but the community owns that data. And they decide what they want, and then they re I, they reprioritize. They say, okay, we still want to work on hand washing because we're not quite there. We still want to do a little bit more of that, mm-hmm. or no, we need to focus on pneumonia or whatever the other issue is. And in the United States, it's often not these you know immediate killers. It's more about health access. It's about quality of life. Like how do you get kids to stay in school? How do you get you right. know moms to go to their prenatal visit? Because that you start early. You know you got to get that baby healthy from the very beginning. How do you help? Because, and the key here is, how you're asked, like, how do you do it? What's the next step? Everybody wants to be healthy. They, people, like, are hungry to be healthy and happy, mm-hmm. to have ownership, to be in control. You know, it's, you don't have to do much, and it starts to really roll. It's a program that it does itself. But really starting from the bottom, like, starting from, you know, asking questions rather than saying, you know, we got this stuff for you. Right. You're welcome. That's not the idea, right? You know, it's, it's, and it's also not. We got this leftover stuff for you, right? It's saying this stuff was purchased with you in mind, or this because stuff because you asked for it. You know, and and why did you ask for it? Because I said, what do you need? What's going on? How can I help? What can we do from the beginning? And so there's also this power dynamic that we have to think about that comes from helping people, right? And it's like, am I helping you? Am I hurting by helping or am I your partner and your colleague and your friend mm-hmm. and we're to in this together? And so thinking about like the mindset that comes with giving back, it's really important. You know, we're, we do feel good when we give back. We all want to help, but that doesn't make us better than, right? you know, it's, we are lucky. <laughs> we got, we got lucky. <laughs> yeah. There's, I'm reminded of a quote from Donald Miller and I don't know if you've, uh, ever read the book Blue Like Jazz, but oh, so yeah, it was yeah, yeah long, long time ago. You have yeah, to yeah, think, yeah. think back like yeah, I don't yeah. know, fifteen, twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, there was a quote that has stuck with me for years, and it's everybody wants to give charity, but nobody wants to be charity. And I think that the way that we we come across with our helping, um, instead of saying here, uh, I want to give this to you, let me take a selfie while I'm giving you this, you know, that sort of thing. If we, if we can effectively avoid that and just give because that's what you're supposed to do, you know, that's just part of who you are. That's part of the, the fabric. That's part of, um, call me crazy, but what we're designed to do, then it makes it just a, a natural thing so that when the person that we're giving to reaches a level of, um, I don't want to say comfortability, but sustainability, somewhere where they, they are... Uh, in a joyful existence, if that's a good way to say that, then they can turn around and do the same. Sure. Um, so I think in a roundabout way, we may have hit the, the justice portion of that. So, uh, and I think we may have started to segue into the freedom. So talk about the freedom that that you've seen through Cure Americas, maybe through your experience um, when you were an ambassador in China, you know, th- those sorts of things. 
Um, where have you seen freedom take place? Yeah, I think, I mean, what immediately comes to my mind is when communities say, that during, after a training, after we design a program with a community, people say, thank you. Why has nobody ever told us this before? Mm. Now we can go and do it. Yeah. We don't need anybody else. We have, the, we have the education and the information, the tools, because so much is not about, you know, like you need a new car, you need, you know, a, a formal education. It's just, you know, a little bit goes a, a long way, but we often try to, you know, keep that power to ourselves. Mm, and so yeah. I think that by, um, you know, the word empower says, I have power and I'm giving you power. I'm imparting it to you. Yeah. yeah. But what we like to do is like release, you know, and say like, you've got all the power already. You've already got it. I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I'm getting out of your way. I'm removing those barriers to get out of your way. And so when after people get trained, after a mom realizes what the impact she had on her neighbor, after a nurse, you know, I, I've seen a nurse and nurses and midwives save lives. I've watched them save lives. The feeling that those healthcare workers have of, like, look what I did for my community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then the last thing I would say is, that, you know, just recently I saw um, a man who got his second vaccine and was crying and he only spoke Spanish. And he said, I never thought anybody would care to, to prioritize me, oh to, to help me to get this. Because now that man, I, like I said before, he has to go to work. He's going to work no matter what. And now he feels a little bit safer for him and his, his family. Um, so I think, you know, the freedom part to me is the education, the getting out of people's way, reducing the barriers, breaking down some of those walls. And um, health is wealth. You know, you're, you can't do anything if you're not healthy. Right. And so there's so many people, if you, if you, like I've been healthy, I've been very lucky, but then I tore my ACL and I was like, this <laughs> is no bueno. This is <laughs> right. not good. And, I, and that's like the least of the, you know, least things. So people, so if you can have some empathy for people who aren't healthy, um, how hard it is to live, how hard it is to focus, how hard it is to give other to give back when you're worried about your headache or your migraine or your back pain or your you know your your whatever your your problem is. Health is our first wealth, and so by giving people health, by getting out of their way, um, that's how we start to create some freedom for people to to do these other things that are important to them. And then that that goes right into that gives them some peace. That gives them that that feeling of everything actually is going to be okay um, because I can be healthy. I have these resources. I have this ability. And then I think some of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but some of it is also teaching people how to research things and how to find things that maybe they didn't know existed. I think it's even about saying to people, you don't have to be sick. That piece of like, of accepting sickness or illness or death, um, you know, a good friend of mine, a Fayetteville native, a uh, mentor, um, Dr. Wes Jones, talks about seeing people in Bolivia who accepted death. Mm. They said it's inevitable. But the programs that we designed with them changed that attitude to say, no, we're, we're going to fight. We're not going to let this baby die. We're not going to give up. We're going to, you know, be at peace with health and focus on health. And I'll, I'll, I'll end by just saying, you know, the same story with Dr. Jones is this idea of we're able to measure our impact. We're able to show the number of lives saved and the reduction of death. And so we can actually see in Bolivia specifically um, a reduction of death by 
um, nearly a hundred percent. So from wow. to, to zero, down to zero. Wow. And there's uh, you know an activity that was happening. There was about fifteen um, like y- young middle school, I think, or junior high age girls who are doing like a like a cultural event. And Dr. Jones was saying, how many of these wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Cure Americas? Mm. Four or five or six literally would not be here. Wow. So the peace in that family, in that community, because if you've lost somebody, it affects you, you know, for a long time. It affects you deeply. And so to me, that health, that freedom of being healthy, but also that peace of knowing that I can be healthy. I don't have to be sick. I don't have to be afraid. This isn't where I, I have to live is in this sickness and expecting death because of the sickness. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So uh, let me ask as a, a capstone for our conversation today, if people want to get involved, um, what's the easiest way for them to get in contact with your office or Cure America's here or a partnering agency? Um, what would you say is the, if there was a streamlined way to get in touch? Well, I, uh, I'm not going to answer exactly your question. I will, but I have to, I want to, it's really important for me to say, <clears throat> I believe we all have an obligation to do good, to give back. So you don't have to do, to give to Cure Americas, to um, volunteer at Cure Americas. You don't have to do that. Do something. Whatever, you know, gets you on fire, do that to make the world better. We have a responsibility. We're so lucky. So we have to keep fighting to make the world better. If you want to um, volunteer with Cure Americas, you can send an email or check out our, our website, www.cureamericas.org, or um, info at cureamericas.org is easy. Um, obviously, donations, we need interns, we need volunteers, we have groups who are going abroad, we have people who are working from home remotely across the country to help us, so we definitely need help. Awesome. And um, if you're listening to this podcast on either Anchor FM or any of our, our partnering podcast agencies, either iTunes, Google podcast, YouTube, anywhere like that. We are going to have the links in the description. So make sure that you check those out. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. I I have been, this conversation has been incredible for me. And I hope that all of our listeners that have a a moment to really dive into this will take the time to look up exactly what Cure Americas, um, where they can plug into Cure Americas and how they can volunteer. And who knows? Maybe we'll start a few new partnering agencies here in the area. Perfect. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you again.